0: Thanks for listening to the Master Brewers podcast. Did you know that Master Brewers offers a wide range of technical resources for breweries of all sizes? Whether you're new to brewing or a seasoned expert, join our community to connect with key players in the profession and stay up to date on the latest in brewing science, technology, and operations. Become a member of Master Brewers with code BEER2022 to save 20% on your membership dues now through December 31st.
2: Brew Ninja, a brewery software solution that streamlines your day-to-day operations, including inventory, accounting, sales, and compliance, so that you can focus on making great beer. Listeners of this podcast will receive a unique offer by going to GetBrewNinja.com and using the code BrewNinja21.
1: What you're about to hear originally aired in October of 2018. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode that you won't want to miss.
3: It's important to think about how you use your hops instead of how much hops you put into the beer.
1: This week on the show, a dry hopping study that really knocks it out of the park. Maria and Will from Sierra Nevada are here to walk us through their work and to help you make better beer.
3: We really pulled together a lot of research from individual papers. And we kind of put it all into, like, one study, whereas some, some papers might have just looked at, you know, the dry hopping effect on biotransformation. And we added that with a physical stability component uh, and the elemental analysis and really tied it all together to, to get really great understanding of dry hopping.
1: What were you trying to determine?
3: We were looking at... Uh, trying to understand if we could modulate flavor profile of our different beers or different brands based off of solely dry hopping at a different times during fermentation.
4: Yeah, we were really interested to see if uh, increasing the time that hops spent in the presence of yeast could promote uh, different flavors, where a company that, uh, you know, uses whole cone hops, and we have many wonderful hop-forward beers, and being able to modulate flavor with dry hopping time could really give us an opportunity to expand on brand potential and flavor potential.
3: We were also looking to see if uh, dry hopping at different times was in impacting physical stability on the brands there's been a lot of talk uh, in the brewing industry on whether or not dry hopping early in fermentation increases haze or haze potential and uh whether that's important for new england style ipas or
1: not okay so the bottom line here is can we develop new brands while basically using the same hops right
4: yep absolutely so uh Being able to use the same, essentially, recipe, but modulating hopping time uh, to promote different flavors is something that's, you know, really interesting and potentially unique. Uh, And that's definitely something we were looking for.
1: Is it safe to assume you ran these trials in the Pilot Brewery in Chico? No, uh, we actually did this trial in our nano brewery.
3: So we have a uh, about a half barrel or 15 gallon Kind of very advanced home brewing kind of setup in the Nano with uh, temperature controlled fermenters, and it's uh, kind of separate from our pilot brewery, but it's kind of an R and D type brewery, small scale, but before the pilot. Okay.
4: Yeah, and this was, it's particularly important that we use the nano uh, in the study because we were able to pull wort from produ- production. So, from the same pump in, same recipe, uh, same raw materials, we were able to siphon off that wort into four of these uh, nano fermenters, um, meaning that we started off with the same base recipe, uh, potentially eliminating any variables if we were to brew these individually, um, you know, with respect to brewing and kettle hop or whirlpool hop additions. Um, we eliminated any of those variables by being able to use the same uh, production wart.
1: I like it. So uh, tell us about, you know, how you set this up when you added hops for the different um, for the different trials.
3: Yeah. So uh, for the, we had four different trials, uh, the first one being a control that didn't receive any dry hopping at all. The second uh, test or I guess the first test would have been fermenter full so at day zero uh, as soon as the wort was pumped into the fermenter we added 150 grams of cascade hops whole cone the second test was when we added our hops warm to cold and that was approximately uh, it was day four and those hops were uh, on the fermenter for about three to four days and then the fermenter was chilled down to uh, 40 degrees and then we added hops cold which was added on day eight and that was at 40 degrees Fahrenheit.
1: Okay so when you say warm to cold you're just meaning that they were added during the active fermentation and then the the cooling happened after they were added essentially right?
4: Yeah so I guess to jump in here the warm to cold addition was added when uh, carbohydrate utilization had ceased so the attenuation was steady, but our VDKs hadn't dropped to our chill spec yet. So this is still in the presence of yeast. We still had yeast in suspension, but carbohydrate utilization was essentially done. So this was around four days into fermentation. And we just called it warm to cold. is what we call it at Sierra Nevada, which means that we add hops warm and the hops stay on the beer until the tank is chilled. Um, if that Got makes it. sense.
1: That does make sense. What kind, of, uh, what kind of dry hop rate are we talking here?
3: 150 grams uh, per 15 gallons. Um, That is 0.5 or 0.9 pounds per barrel.
1: Okay, cool. Do I have this right that you actually repeated this uh, experiment several times, right?
3: Yeah, we repeated it three Uh. times. So that was actually the only variability that we had. So the only variability was the different wort that was... Uh, used to pump into the fermenters so we control the amongst the, con- the all the tests the control was the same for each one of the tests and then we had another set of a set of fermenters that was referencing the control
4: again yeah so i think um the repeatability of what we incorporated in the study and the scope is kind of what makes um i think this so impactful so altogether, we performed 12 brews uh, as will said three controls um all and then you know, three of each individual variable Um, and with the repeatability, not only in the data that we collected, depending on physical stability or fermentation performance, um, it was also important that we were able to repeat our quantitative descriptive panel analysis. So, you know, sensorially, we were able to quantify these differences, not only with a single panel, but with repeated uh, panels um, and repeated tests. So I think the repeatability is uh, something that's quite unique um, to this study
1: that's awesome you'd, you'd make my um uh t- chemical technical analysis uh teacher from from brewing school very proud she used to always say <laughs> she used to always say one value is no value so give a, mm-hmm. a shout out to katrin and, and all those <laughs> vlb alumni who uh who have that baked into their brains right on um, okay well let's talk about um let's talk about what what you measured in these experiments what, what were you looking to measure
4: Sure, um, I'll start off with uh, the fermentation side of things. So we really wanted to assess if there were potential impacts on yeast uh, physiological health by the presence of hops. So we know hops can impart toxicity to biological organisms, particularly bacteria and things like that, but there is some potential for impact on yeast as well, particularly if these hops are present at a high concentration at the very start of fermentation. So the ways that we were looking at uh, assessing fermentation performance or yeast health was by looking at carbohydrate utilization so that includes included the time uh, for fermentation and also the rate of carbohydrate utilization the rate of ethanol production and then also looking at a bunch of cell characteristics so looking at the rate of cell growth uh, flocculation time and also the rate of flocculation and using these specific metrics particularly as we had uh, three rounds we were able to statistically assess if we had impacts on carbohydrate utilization, ethanol production, and also cell characteristics in the presence of hops.
1: That kind of covers sort of the, you know, fermentation performance stuff that you wanted to measure. What were you looking for in terms of quality of beer?
3: Yeah, and so in terms of quality of beer, we were really focusing on the organoleptic quality and the volatile profile analysis. Um, and then we also looked into um, elemental analysis for any differences in metals, specifically the peroxidants, iron, manganese, and copper. And then as well as the physical stability markers that we use at the brewery to assess if a if beer is stable or not stable physically.
1: All right, let's 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 look into the results. Did you find any significant differences in those uh, fermentation metrics that you talked about?
4: There were no significant differences in the majority or all, I guess, of the fermentation metrics, but there were some borderline significant differences found in the cell growth and flocculation metrics. Um, so when we had hops uh, present in the fermenter um, right at the start of fermentation, we had borderline um, influences on the growth rate where we had a decreased growth rate and also it took longer for the cells to begin flocculation. Um, Of course, again, these weren't statistically significant depending on the uh, significance that we chose, but it does look like there is some potential impact on growth and flocculation.
1: Any, Any thoughts on the cause of that?
4: So, we, we're speculating that there is the potential for nucleation sites. We have, you know, a huge bag of hops in the fermenter. It provides the potential for yeast to, uh, you know, interact and bind and perhaps stay in suspension longer, um, which could influence the flocculation uh, time, you know, make it take longer for the cells to flock out of solution. Um, but really, it's speculation at this point.
1: How about physical stability? What did you find out there?
3: we also found no statistical difference in any of the physical stability metrics that we were looking at and these are total polyphenols sensitive proteins tannins and a measurement called chapone which measures the chill haze of the beer so this is kind of a a total holistic kind of view of traditional beer haze which um, kind of is very important for um, new england style ipas we were actually kind of surprised at this because there was so much talk about this in the industry and on forms and in person we we heard a lot about this but also quite interesting that at the same conference um new belgium also reported that the opposite of what we found so i don't know if our metrics and they're using the same metrics so i don't know if they our metrics aren't sensitive enough to pick out differences or if they're um not looking at what What is like the correct metric that we need to be looking at to understand why hazy IPAs are hazy?
1: Were they using similar uh, dose rates, and you know, I mean, could it just be a recipe thing?
3: They were using similar dose rates from my recollection but what they were doing differently is that they were looking at a uh, ammonia sulfate precipitation for their protein analysis where uh, we use a sensitive protein analysis a sensitive protein analysis which looks at the proline rich areas of the protein which is uh, the source for polyphenol protein binding
1: now, you guys also observed something that we've heard you know, Dr. May and a few other people speak about, and obviously a lot of us have noticed this, but dry hopping raised your pH. Why don't you talk about that? What did you, you observe there? Yeah,
3: so in all cases, dry hopping increased our pH, um, and we found this result to be pretty interesting because nobody's really reported on it. People have talked about it, but nothing like super in-depth, and there has, wasn't any literature on the subject. So uh, I'd say after one day after the dry hopping occurred, the pH raised about uh, 0.25 units, 0.25 to 0.3 units, I'd say. And that was in all cases of dry hopping.
4: So to kind of expand on that, um, when we took a look at the pH profile during fermentation, it was really interesting to see the influence on pH depending on dry hopping time. So when, uh, in the absence of dry hopping, our beer pH dropped from around 5.2 to 4.2, which is pretty typical. Um, But in the Fermenter Full Edition, we saw uh, the pH drop to around 4.5. So the pH never actually got down to the pH of the control beer, which means that... uh, there is the potential for the hops to be acting as a buffering agent Um, but we also know that they're potentially contributing uh, hydroxide ions because if you take a look at the dry hopping in the middle of fermentation so that's around day four and also the cold addition. Those two beers, before hops were added, the pH has got down to the control beers, so around 4.2. But upon the addition of hops, as Will was saying, the uh, pH raised about 0.2 units. So we know that there is the potential for buffering capacity, but we also know that there's the potential for hydroxide. So there are potential two methods for either raising the pH or keeping the pH elevated um, above beers that don't have dry hops added.
1: Now, you also observed that hops actually change your wort density. You want to talk about that?
4: Sure. Um, so this is kind of an interesting and rather hot topic. Um, in the past year or so, there's been some uh, discussions in scientific communities about the potential for hops to contribute enzymatic activity. So uh, contributing an enzy- enzyme that could potentially degrade dextrins into fermentable sugars, which could, of course, have some quality impacts. Um, and what we saw in these beers is slightly different, but potentially related. So with respect to dry hopping, um, as hops were added to the fermenter, uh, especially if we look at the cold edition first. Um, All of our beers attenuated um, similarly, but when we added hops uh, on the cold side, we saw an increase in the overall density. So that was about a 0.2 to uh, to 0.3 increase in Play-Doh, which overall may not be significant, um, but there was a contribution repeatedly for our cold edition hops. Um, So that suggests that there is some... um, density imparted from the hops and we know that that density at least some percentage of it is fermentable because the other dry hopped beers so our warm addition uh, our warm addition dry hopping in the presence of yeast we did not see that increase in density so we know that the yeast were fermenting some of that uh, whatever the hops were contributing whatever carbohydrates the yeast were fermenting them But universally, we did not see an over attenuation uh, with this dry hopping ratio of one pound per barrel. We didn't see any evidence of enzymatic activity, um, but that's not to say that it doesn't exist. Uh, It's just that perhaps at this ratio and with these hops, um, seeing an enzymatic degradation of wart dextrins was not visible.
1: Did you see any changes to um, VDK? I don't. I can't remember if you were measuring that throughout the process or not. But I mean, that's one of the complaints people obviously had, you know. And we're looking at the, you know, we did we covered that this topic on episode ninety eight on you know dry hop creep. Um, but did you guys were you measuring that during these trials?
4: So we weren't measuring VDKs during fermentation. Um, we measure VDKs as the carbohydrate utilization ceases. So as the beers are finishing up. Um, fermenting, we will take a BDK, and if it's below a certain spec, so for us particularly, it's 55 micrograms per milliliter, we will chill the beers. So, unfortunately, with the cold addition, it would have been interesting because, you know, all of these beers were chilled. Uh, with respect to the warm addition, there was no influence on BDK reduction time. Um, the control and the warm edition beers chilled uh, around the same time. And for the cold edition, we did not actually take a VDK after we hopped. So I can't comment if the VDK is increased upon hopping. Um, So I don't really have a good answer for that.
1: Okay, no, that is a good answer. And that's a good segue into talking about the sensory results. Was there any uh, VDKs picked up during sensory?
4: There was no VDK picked up in our panels for any of the three rounds that we went through. Um, It was not something that they picked up. Coming up. So, with the same recipe, our panelists described uh, four different beers.
1: I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support.
2: Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity in real time from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Get started for 30 days risk-free. Visit precisionfermentation.com mbaa.
0: Brought to you by CanCraft and BSG. Whether you need a full-service packaging experience from design to delivery, or you just need some aluminum cans, CanCraft can do. CanCraft's design and aluminum specialists are here to support your business every step of the way. Visit bsgcraftbrewing.com backslash CanCraft to learn how CanCraft can help realize your brand potential.
1: Are you looking to diversify your portfolio to include non-alcoholic beer or hard seltzer? You can do both with Alpha Laval's low-alk and de alc technologies. Whether through membrane filtration or vacuum stripping, Alpha Laval's innovative solutions are designed to provide gentle and efficient treatment of your beer, cider, hard seltzer, or other beverages, so your customers can experience the best that your brand has to offer. Visit alphalaval.us slash mbaa to learn more. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District Eastern Canada has a webinar on the best practices in dry hopping October 25th. The District Midwest Technical Conference is October 28th and 29th. District Philly meets November 4th and 5th at the Wyndham in Old City. District Great Plains meets November 11th and 12th at Free State Brewing in Lawrence. District Southern California meets at Pizza Port in Carlsbad November 12th. District Rocky Mountain meets November 12th in Glenwood Springs. District Milwaukee meets November 17th at Sunshine Brewing Company in Lake Mills. It's time to put the next Master Brewers Conference on your calendar. That'll be October 6th through the 8th, 2023 in Seattle, Washington. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. back to the show. Before we could dive into sensory, we found ourselves on a bit of a tangent discussing dry hop creep from episode 98.
3: You know, with that cold addition, we saw that density increase, and Maria said that the likelihood that some of it's fermentable, and this would correspond with Allagash's study where they saw bottles exploding due to cold dry hopping and then bottle conditioning. So I think that's kind of important to talk about for the viewers, but maybe not.
4: But to be fair, I think Allagash, they didn't see an increase in density. So what they saw was, so there was not an overall increase in density when they dry hopped. What they saw was a decrease in fermentable sugars, or I'm sorry, a decrease in overall dextrins. So what we're seeing here Mm -hmm. is is an imparting of starch or carbohydrates from the hops, and then the subsequent decrease of that starch. Whereas with Allagash, it was, they added dry hops and their residual density decreased. So they didn't actually see an increase in carbohydrates. If that Yeah, makes I
3: mean sense. I, I can't yeah, I can't remember like, the specifics, but I mean that packaging, if this beer was packaging and bottle conditioned, it definitely would have the potential.
4: That's fair. That's
1: fine. All right, good discussion guys. Um, <laughs> let's move on to sensory. Um, you guys can argue about that a little bit too. Maybe, <laughs> make for some, make for some good radio. <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh, we looked at the three trials um, In our quality or quantitative descriptive panel, Uh, and this looks at this uses a trained panel looking at all the different aroma characteristics of the beer. So first, we defined in the first uh, set of beers, we defined what the uh, main characteristics of the beer were, and then the panel described how the beer uh, is different and at what level each of those descriptors are for the individual beers. So uh, not surprising, when we did not dry hop the, the, the beer, the cold edition, we received a lower hop intensity for for that beer three times in a row. Um, but interestingly, when we added the fermenter full edition, we had a very high perceived uh, tr- fruity and tropical fruit aroma. And <clears throat> followed by the warm to cold, which also had a pretty high fruity and tropical fruit aroma but it was definitely muted compared to the fermenter full and then that cold edition we it was like it was not it was statistically higher than the uh, fermenter full and warm to cold or statistically lower than the fermenter full and warm to cold but it wasn't it was higher than the dry hop and this this aroma is is super important for i'd say brewers especially right now when trying to make fruity and uh, tropical beers especially for new england style ipas so that was, that was really um, awesome for us. And I, in my opinion, that was the very, uh, it was a very um, defining characteristic of each one of the beers. Um, and then knowing that we can create such a fruity and tropical fruit aroma um, just because of dry hopping, uh, I think that we kind of achieved the goals of our study um, when looking at uh, sensory and
4: aroma of the beer. Yeah, just to kind of expand on that, so what we were able to achieve based on our QDA results is four statistically significant beers um, or statistically different beers with dry hopping time. So this Fruity Tropical was rated differently for each of the beers in our panel. Um, So with the same recipe, our panelists described uh, four different beers, which is pretty cool. As Will said, that was kind of the um, whole purpose of the study. We wanted to see, could we create four different beers with the same recipe? And depending on Fruity Tropical, we were able to achieve that. And to expand on the cold edition, you know, historically, I think uh, cold edition dry hopping is what's been utilized, and you know, with the past few years, we've moved into warm editions. But uh, the cold edition beers were pretty uh, surprising in terms of the negative characteristics that were coming out that our panel was able to perceive. So, in particular, um, characteristics of burnt rubber, onion sulfur, and skunky dank in a rather uh, negative connotation, not in the good dank. Those were all significantly higher for the cold-topped beers. Um, In addition, caddy, um, so the kind of sulfur in caddy was also rated significantly higher in our cold-topped beer. So it's it's interesting to note that we had a lot of negative connotations coming out with the cold-topped, and we really had no positive connotations with the cold-topped beer at all. But that could be because we had these two significantly fruity rose floral uh, beers with a fermenter full and warm to cold that our panel was just perceiving the cold edition negatively. But it's just something to note that, you know, we did have a lot of negative associations with a cold hop beer.
3: The warm to cold was a kind of a happy balance between the two mm-hmm. of them with some sulfur character, but more like tropical fruit type aroma in the beer as
1: well. That's pretty interesting. Um, I know you haven't, or at least for this study, you hadn't run, you know, uh, these trials with different hop varieties. How much, uh, how, to what extent, do you think that's going to be consistent across different hop varieties? Uh,
3: I, I think that every single time that you dry hop and do the study with a different beer, you're going to get a, a different result. I think that in general, the same trend will be seen, but uh, all hops have different, um, you know levels of compounds in them and that's what makes them distinguishable And how you can make different beers using a cascade and a a mosaic or a a citra but the same types of descriptors might vary from hop to hop
1: okay anything else you want to talk about sensory or, or should we hop into the next part uh
3: do you want to talk about how we did this with pellets which might be relevant for other people maria
4: um we could i guess we don't really have those results
1: in front of us but in front of us so so are you saying you repeated the study but with pellets is that what you're saying
3: we did it we did it one yeah. time with pellets uh just to kind of see what would happen because we're a whole brewer but we did do it with pellets and the results were were different how did you even um, find
1: pellets at Sierra nevada
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> we have our we have our ways
4: they're in the basement very <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, tell us about that. What, 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 um, anything, anything groundbreaking there?
3: So we don't, we don't have the results in front of us, but uh, the one main thing that stood out to me most was that the fermenter full and the warm-to-cold edition were much more similar. Um, and I can't remember how different they were, but they were not that different from each other. And I th- we think that this is because like the increased surface area of the pellets Whereas whole cone hops, you don't have that increase in surface area.
4: Yeah, so for the whole cone, having those hops spend four more days in the fermenter for the you know time zero addition may have uh, imparted or been enough to extract or biotransform or chemically transform those compounds into... Uh, flavor active compounds whereas with the pellets as Will was saying, with the surface area you don't need that extended time to extract the same uh, flavor potential
3: the pellets you get much more extraction potential but you don't necessarily get the same amount of uh, same type of control that you would um, out of the flavor that you might want
1: You also did some multivariate analysis, which listeners obviously can't see on a podcast, but how about describing some, any takeaways from that work?
4: Sure. Um, So we perform multivariate analysis and specifically uh, hierarchical cluster analysis. And what this looks like on the page is a heat map where colors are associated to the intensity is related to. uh, In this particular heat map, we've looked at uh, significantly different uh, compounds that were determined using GCMS. And then we looked at significant sensory descriptors, significant elemental analysis results, and also significant uh, fermentation results. So anything that was significant in our previous analyses was included in this heat map. And essentially what hierarchical cluster analysis will do is it will sort all of our variables depending on their similarity to each other. And then it will also sort our beers, so our control and then our three beers that were dry hop differently, depending on their similarity to each other. So it generates this map that you can kind of pinpoint uh, similarities and differences between the beers. So it makes it visually kind of easy to look into. And what what we kind of noticed from this heat map, uh, just talking about specifically the no dry hopped, when In the absence of dry hopping, our beer had significantly higher concentrations of purans. So those are malt-derived compounds. And we also had a significantly higher sensorial rating for malty bready, which isn't surprising. Um, but what was interesting is that our no-dry hop beer, um, all of our fermentation esters were clustered uh, to be higher for that beer, um, which is interesting. So... You know, it's either suggesting that hopping either warm to cold is impacting uh, yeast and their production of esters or causing some extraction of fermentation esters. So that was one thing that we uh, found was interesting with the no dry hopped and then moving into the fermenter full and the warm to cold. We had a bunch of hop-derived esters uh, and compounds uh, rated for grouped closely together and also had a higher intensity. So specifically talking about compounds that have been in the literature described to be um, important for uh, dry hopping, especially um, with respect to chemical and biochemical transformation. So we saw an increase in ethyl 3 methyl butyrate and ethyl-2-methylbutyrate, two compounds that are quite important for that tropical fruit Aroma. And these compounds um, are probably higher in the warm additions or the addition of hops in the presence of yeast due to uh, either chemical or biochemical esterification of the short chain carboxylic acid precursors. So it was great to see, um, you know, some of these historically known uh, biotransformation and chemical transformation things happening. We also saw an increase in geraniol, nerol, and linalool for our um, warm hopped beers. Um, and this is probably due to the hydrolysis of geraniol and nerol esters, um, and also the potential biotransformation of monoterpene alcohols. And we know this is likely the case because in our cold addition beer, we saw an increase in uh, acetate and propionate precursors to um, geranial and narrow, uh, so that likely means that those precursors were transformed um, in the presence of yeast or in the presence of heat uh, into these really flavor-active compounds. Um, so the utilization of the hierarchical cluster analysis really is able to give us an indication of trends that we're seeing with different beers, and you can also see the distinct difference um, depending on all of these analyses that we did between the beers. I don't know if Will you have anything. to add.
1: <laughs> <laughs> No, that was good. It's tough uh, act to follow, Will. Yeah, it
3: is. <laughs> uh, but when uh, after performing the multivariate analysis, we can like really start to understand how the sensory results, and we can start to deconvolute some of the sensory results, and as to like why we're smelling and tasting certain things. Um, so uh, we had increased amounts of sulfur in the cold edition, and we saw that as well in the sensor r- results. But we we have very similar t- uh, amounts of those uh, esters that uh, Maria was talking about, like the ethyl two methyl butyrate and ethyl ethyl three methyl butyrate in the warm to cold and from or sorry warm to cold and fermenter full. But there was an increased uh, sensorial amount of kind of like that sulfur. Uh, those sulfur notes. So it's not necessarily that those compounds aren't necessarily there at the same concentrations or similar concentrations. It's that they're being masked by other flavors in the beer.
1: Okay. So going back to you know, those questions that you asked at the outset, you've demonstrated that dry hopping didn't affect physical stability. You also asked if we could achieve different flavor profiles with the same hop variety and concentration. And it sounds like the answer to that is a resounding yes, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, dry hopping time is super important for uh, the flavor profile of your beer. And uh, I think especially here, we've made a lot of changes um, into how we were thinking about dry hopping now and controlling what type of flavor profile we want based off of this work. We haven't done it with other hops, but we, like I was saying, the the trend is kind of there and we can, um, for all hops, and we can start to, you know, modulate and control more of our our flavor profile that we want based off of when we add our hops.
1: So what about developing unique brands with essentially the same hops or the same recipe, if you will? I mean, sounds like that's a pretty viable thing, right?
3: Yeah, the potential is definitely there. Like, depending on if you use Lupulin pellets or whole cones, you can... Uh, you can definitely make different beers with the exact same hops.
4: Yeah. And especially for, you know, Sierra Nevada, we're lucky. We have a lot of resources available to us. If we want a hop, we're going to get a hop. Um, But if you're a smaller brewery or even a home brewer, uh, this can really offer you um, a relatively inexpensive way of making unique and different beers. If you were only able to purchase, you know, a single hop variety, So using the dry hopping time, if you only have one hop, you can theoretically make different beers and uh, expand on your brand profiles.
1: I asked Marie and Will what's next, and here's what they said.
4: You know, we're research and development at Sierra Nevada, so we have many pots in the fire. Um, Just expect great things next year.
1: All right. I like it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's like, that's a, we got to live up to that now. Oh,
4: it's, it's all in the bag, Will. Don't worry.
3: <laughs> oh, that's great. This like would it. be a really hard study to live up to. Because, yeah. like, uh, there's been Speak lots for of... for
4: yourself, Will. Uh,
3: yeah, I mean, it, it took all, a lot of time, but... Uh,
1: Sounds like Maria's not a fan of under-promise, over-deliver. I don't know.
4: <laughs> no, no. Over-promise, over-deliver. There you go. All What's right. <laughs>
3: Cool. I like to not fail. Yeah, me too. <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> Maria and Will presented this work at the Brewing Summit in San Diego just a few months ago. If you want to learn more about achieving different flavor profiles with the same hop variety and concentration by modulating dry hop timing, do yourself a favor and flip through these slides. For only $89, you can have access to this presentation and all of the other amazing work that was presented at the 2018 Brewing Summit. Master Brewers members even get a discount. Go to mbaa.com store, then click on Conference Proceedings. Hey, remember the Belgian beer book that Sten Mertens and Jan Stensels talked about on episode 101, The Yeasts of Tomorrow? Well, great news. It's now available in the Master Brewers bookstore. Just go to mbaa.com store and type Belgian beer into the search bar to get your copy today.
3: I'm running too fast. And then I bump on the ground one second. I need to talk to Andrew. Sure thing. So, so uh, we're just doing the podcast right <laughs> does,
1: does Andrew want to be on the podcast? Is he like, hey guys,? Andrew, why, why can't I be on the podcast? <laughs>
4: Actually I just want to shout uh, out to Andrew. If, you, if you're and just if
3: you're just quiet, then we're I think we're good.
4: Andrew actually performed the GCMS analysis on these beers and contributed significantly to our understanding of popping, so shout out to Andrew. Alright. Hi Andrew. Yeah.
1: Andrew, do you wanna say hi to
3: everyone? Andrew, do you wanna say hi to everyone? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Andrew Reyes.